Hey everyone, it's Marvin. This episode of Books and Boba is sponsored by Mai Theater in New York City and their upcoming production of Once Upon a Korean Time. Founded in 1989, Mai Theater Company is a professional, award-winning, nonprofit 501c3 organization whose primary mission is to develop and produce new and innovative plays by Asian American writers. They're a great theater company out in New York who has distinguished themselves as one of the country's leading incubators of new works shaping local and national conversations about what it means to be Asian American today. Their latest production, Once Upon a Korean Time, is a generation-spanning new journey through the historical and fantastical. Mixing traditional Korean fables with the horrors of the Korean War, Daniel K. Isaac's epic new play is a funny and deeply moving analog for the experiences of the Korean-American diaspora. Isaac deftly moves his characters through time, tracing the legacies of trauma that are passed down from one generation to the next, and the various coping mechanisms each one uses to soldier on. The show features sea kings, bubbles, tigers, generational traumas, and of course, barbecue, and is the professional playwriting debut for Daniel K. Isaac, um, who, who previously acted on Billions, The Chinese Lady, and of course made an appearance on a previous iteration of Haikus for Hotties. Previews begin August 23rd at La Mama's Ellen Stewart Theater in New York City and will be there for a limited engagement until September 18th. So if you are in the New York area or plan to make a trip to New York in the coming weeks, um, definitely check it out. Tickets are now available at maitheater.org. Um, there will be a link in the show notes. But if you're curious, the website is ma-yitheater.org. That's right. It's theater with an R-E. So you know it's fancy. Books and Boba listeners can get a ticket at the discounted price of $30 by entering the coupon code Books and Boba, all caps. And if you do attend the show, please let us know. Rira and I are stuck here on the West Coast, so we won't be able to make it, but we do want to hear your thoughts on the play as well. Once again, you can get discounted tickets for Ma'i Theater's production of Once Upon a Korean Time by entering the promo code Books and Boba, all caps. All right, now on with the show. And you are listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here for our August 2022 mid-month book news check-in, where we go over the latest book and publishing news uh, from Asian and Asian American literature. Um, man, Rira, I know yes. we shouldn't talk about this on the pod, but no, it's I think really, we should really be hot. very transparent. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really hot, and we just literally spent the last what. 45 minutes, Five minutes. <laughs> dealing with sound issues and in the end we found the cause bluetooth bluetooth if you are an audio engineer or you ever want to work in podcasts ever and you're having issues with your mic or your sound system not working um just look to see if any of your hosts or guests are wearing like airpods or earbuds that are bluetooth because 99 percent of the time that is the issue I say this as a professional podcast producer. I hate it. Why Why can't they make technology work? <laughs> I feel like I've aged four years within <laughs> those 40 minutes or so where we're trying to get my audio to work. 
Like Zoom wasn't working, Audacity <laughs> wasn't working, my sound wasn't open. It was a whole mess, you guys. But we are here. And yeah, we're here. We figured it out. It was Samsung's fault. So damn you, Samsung. That's true. <laughs> well, um, good thing that we record this episode days before it actually comes out. So um, we're just venting our frustrations here, but it doesn't really affect the um, the cadence of our podcast. So it's all good. Um, sound issues notwithstanding, how are you doing, Rira? I'm doing okay. Um, I went to our friends, they call us Bruce's, live recording at Roman's Bookstore. They were interviewing Wesley Chu on his new book, The Art of Prophecy. And it was very interesting because they were talking about like the publishing industry and their reluctance to... Uh, publish Asia, like more than one Asian author who release a fa- fantasy title. <laughs> and I was like, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I am not going to raise my hand because um, one, it's not my recording. And two, I just don't want to draw attention to myself. Like, Why burn pod? Just talk about that, that on this podcast. Um, Marvin but... was supposed to go with me, but then uh, something came up. So he was unable to show up. So I had to... It's my fiance's mother's birthday, and I needed to run over her birthday present before they left for their San Diego trip. And because of a very busy week, I had like a bajillion meetings this week for some reason. Uh, I did not have the chance to run down the Whittier until Friday night. So uh, sorry, Rira. I apologize. Like for I went hanging. thinking that I had an ally, <laughs> and then I was by myself. And I was like, I've been to events by myself. I'll be fine. But then as more and more people showed up to this event, I was like, oh, no, my anxiety level is so bad right now. But you're um, on home turf. It was at it our was home my ap- It was at my home turf. Yeah. Yeah. But like after the event ended, um, I just said bye to Phil and I just like dipped out. Like I could you not know. linger to say hi to Wes or um, to Jeff. I was just like, I, I need to leave. I can't. You know, I understand. Like, if anything, these past few years have changed in me. It's definitely made me less of a socializer, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not much of a socializer to begin with. So, like, I I did consider, like, not going to the event. And I was like, no. I mean, like, Phil and Jeff, they live on the west side. Like, when are they ever here on (laughs) our side? This is literally my local bookstore. I should go and show solidarity. So let's just say that I have a great deal of loyalty to our potluck <laughs> collective. I will always show up and um, and be supportive. Well, I do apologize for leaving you hanging. I did. Um, I did slack Rira like hours before the event saying so i gotta i need to go run an errand that might take a while so i don't know if i'm gonna make it she was very gracious but i know behind the the veil of slack she was cursing me under her breath but i was not cursing you (laughs) like i i thought about like sticking around too i was like oh that's like the networking thing that i should do right but then I remembered that I had to compile the list for this episode and I had not done so already. And it was like nine o'clock at that point. So I was like, I need to go. Yeah, priorities. <laughs> I need to, I like, I I need to grab dinner and I need like maybe 30 minutes to wind down from my social anxiety and then start working on this. So 
I put our podcast on priority over drinking and possibly socializing and networking with people. And we appreciate you for that. Um, you are the extrovert between two of us. I know. So. I did not pull my weight. I, I apologize. No, I'll make not. it up to you. I swear. <laughs> Yay. Well, like we mentioned, we are here to go over the latest Asian American publishing news um, based on um, book announcements that Rira compiled from Publishers Weekly, Twitter, and other social media sources. Um, so, yeah, let's get to it. Uh, Rira, what is our first publishing news? All right. Our first book deal is Levine Quirito has acquired world rights to Watercrest author Andrea Wang and illustrator Yua Vang's picture book, Worthy, the Brave and Capable Life of Joseph Pierce, which is based on the true story of a Chinese boy who is sold as a slave and worked to prove himself, eventually becoming a corporal during the Civil War and later an American citizen, exemplifying the complexity of being Chinese-American in the years before and after the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed. Publication is slated for spring 2024. I am not familiar with uh, Joseph Pierce. I am not either, <laughs> but I am familiar with Andrea Wang, who was a guest on this podcast. We talked to her about her book, The Many Meanings of Melon. And yeah, it's great to see another book. Like this is this is a nonfiction title. So I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Nonfiction picture book. Um, Watercress, of course, is a book we see all the time being um, featured in a lot of bookstores in the children's area. Um, I did a quick Wikipedia search for Joseph Pierce and none of them turned out to be Chinese people. So um, I think this is probably a story that is very, very hidden in our history. And yeah, I'm personally also curious just to read it because um, I can't imagine those easy being the Asian man during Civil War times, right? That's usually like stories from those times are not um, stories of happy times, <laughs> to say the least. So yeah, I'm super interested in checking out more as it comes out. All right, next up, Harper One bought North American rights to Michelle Young's nonfiction work, The Art Spy, the untold story of World War II resistance spy Rose Valland. The book examines the role of French resistance member and art historian Rose Valland in tracking down looted artworks throughout Europe during World War II. She is credited with providing the information that stopped the last train of stolen art from leaving France just before the end of the war. Uh, no publication date has been set. Sounds really cool. But Michelle Young is the founder of Untapped New York, which is a web magazine dedicated to the hidden history of New York City. So she is very knowledgeable in uh, little like tidbit hidden um, facts about history. So um, yeah, I've never heard of Rose Villan, but I've definitely heard of a lot of people who uh, made sure that a lot <laughs> of art did not land in the hands of Nazis and also were able to survive the bombings of World War II by hiding them away. Um, I think it's super important to you know, preserve art. And uh, yeah, like I'm really interested in reading this. All right, next up, HarperCollins acquired North American rights to Haru, Zombie Dog Hero, written by Ellen O, oh, the author of Spirit Hunters and co-founders of We Need Diverse Books. 
The middle grade story follows a kidnapped dog, Haru, who has undergone illegal animal testing at an evil laboratory that causes a zombie apocalypse. When Haru turns into a zombie himself, it is his love for his human boy that keeps him from turning into a monster and helps save his family. Publication is set for summer 2023. We all know all you need to survive a zombie apocalypse is to be a good boy, right? Ellen O, obviously, uh, she's been mentioned a lot on our show. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, she is the founder of We Need Diverse Books. um, And she's been around for a very long time. So we should definitely have her on the show sometime. We've been saying that for like six years. We should definitely work on that. Um, But this sounds really fun. Um, Haru sounds like, I'm picturing like a Shiba Inu, but I know that's just like, is that like stereotyping what I think a Haru would look like? I don't know. There's a lot of different types of Japanese dogs, but Ellen O is Korean. So I don't know if Haru is is a Korean name or not, but uh, yeah. All right. Uh, Next up, Penguin Nancy Paulson Books acquired world rights to Family of Friends. A picture book by Varsha Bajaj that celebrates chosen family when a girl's neighbor steps in to help her make her birthday party special when her nanny is unable to attend. Isha Lobo will illustrate and publication is expected for summer 2025. Yeah, there's not much to go by from this description. So I don't know if nanny not arriving is due to like tragedy or unfortunate circumstance or just like neglect. Um, But... I do like the story of, you know, like a community coming together to help people. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the the world we live in now, but I don't really know my neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? No, definitely not. But <laughs> I did live during a time where that was like the norm. Um, because like back in Georgia, I lived in a cul-de-sac and oh. everybody seemed to like know each other. And uh, like during Halloween, they would do like, these special uh like halloween treats drop off and they'll do like a lot of summer barbecues together but the problem is my family never participated and my (laughs) family was always like don't hang out with them like we have better things to do so um i was kind of isolated from all of those activities that's that's a bummer sound like would have been fun i don't know sounds like an awkward social situation where I (laughs) like I'd rather be home playing video games thank you very much this is true that's true as well um just invite them over to play smash it's all good uh All right, next up, Kanath acquired in an exclusive submission Temporary Bodies by Anuradha D. Rajarkar, a YA gothic thriller about a teen girl who seeks a fresh start in India after the death of her sister, but discovers that the abandoned building her parents are renovating into a boutique hotel has a dark history as a birthing hospital, haunted by restless spirits and the twisted legacy of colonialism. Publication is set for summer 2024 man dude man. okay okay this is just like a sidebar but i used to live in a house that was definitely haunted okay <laughs> like my room was super haunted uh like um like my closet door will rattle and i had like a lot of like night terrors and there were like sounds of like footsteps in the middle of the night yeah it was like 
real spooky stuff. And my parents are like, you're overreacting, blah, 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 blah. And I said, hey, why don't we switch rooms? We switched rooms and then we moved out of that house. Like, <laughs> not, that, not that long after. So Asian people were like, if a, if a place is haunted, we usually just like bounce. We're not those white people in... Uh, in ghost movies we're we're trying to like deep dive into the history of the house we're like it's haunted it's not good we're leaving man that sounds harrowing (laughs) but a haunted hospital that's like that's super creepy (laughs) i mean gothic horror is all about vibes right it's like some bad shit happened in this house that's why it's haunted but I think gothic horror from the ghost of colonialism way scarier because those ghosts probably racist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also, why are you renovating a hospital into a hotel? I feel like, like, wouldn't the rooms be super tiny and creepy? I don't know. All right. Next up, Clarion Books bought world rights to Marzi Abbas's untitled picture book biography, featuring Pakistan's first woman architect, Yasmin Lari, about how she innovated and engineered zero-carbon, uh, low-cost rehabilitation for villagers. Um, Hora Haddadi will illustrate. The publication is planned for fall 2024. Um, another picture book about unsung heroes. Um, this sounds really cool. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of my friends who are like architects and civil engineers will probably really love a picture book um, about architecture and civil engineering um you know i didn't learn about things like zero carbon or um green building until much later in my adulthood so uh, teaching kids early always a good thing i think yeah yeah definitely and also the water wars are coming so (laughs) (laughs) maybe Uh the future generation can save us if they learn early or they can just save themselves you know in, in, in the water wars, it's going to be everyone for themselves. Um, with that dark thought aside, uh, next up, Abrams bought Grief in the Fourth Dimension, a speculative YA novel by Jennifer Yu, the author of Five Weeks, Five People. After their deaths, two teens find themselves as roommates in a mysterious white room, one that shows them their loved ones' lives on a large TV, grants their wishes with a sardonic sense of humor, and reveals an unexpected connection between their lives and deaths. Publication is slated for spring 2024. Wow. Uh, this seems to be one of those books that have a dark premise, but probably ends up being kind of hopeful. Um, I'm expecting a lot of dark humor. I'm expecting a lot of just, uh, I mean, it's grief of death, but from the side of the dead. And so probably a lot of catharsis, probably just a lot of, you know, and, you know, maybe, maybe some tears, maybe some dust in your eye. Um, seems like that kind of book. But yeah, interested in um, learning more as this book comes out. Uh, congrats to Jennifer on her book deal. Um, next up, Little B Books have acquired world rights to The Runaway Dosa by Suma Subramaniam and illustrated by Parvati Palai. A fairy tale mashup of The Gingerbread Man and the traditional Tamil rhyme Dosa Ama Dosai. Uh, publication is slated for fall 2023. This sounds really cute. Um, the Gingerbread the Gingerbread Man, of course, is a classic tale of a really annoying animated gin- cookie that runs away from everybody. And I always love to see variations on that theme. One of my favorite books as a kid actually is The, the Stinky Cheese Man, 
which is, um, I don't know if you've ever read this book, Rira. It's The Gingerbread Man, except if he was Stinky Cheese. I've definitely seen it uh, as a kid, but I never read it. Uh, it was not my brand back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think the Dosai Ama Dosai, um, it's, I mean, like it's a dessert or it's some kind of bread. Uh, it's like very, very thin. Almost like I mean, a crepe. Yeah, it, a like, dosa is a crepe with like curries and stuff that you... It's not stuffed with it, but you break it apart and you dip it in various sauces. And that's how... It's really good. Yeah. I've had it a couple times. I'm like wondering what it would look like in, you know, like illustrated form. Because it's called the runaway dosa. Yeah, I would imagine... Because it's, it's, it looks like a long like burrito. If you just look at yeah. it from the outside. So I just imagine a long burrito with legs. Uh, will it be upright or vertical or horizontal? Who knows? But Who knows? Um, it sounds like, cute. Gingerbread and... man, like obviously it's humanoid. So <laughs> you could kind of picture it. But uh, yeah, like runaway dosa burrito. Yeah, that sounds dosa cute. has no chance. Um, it's going to get eaten ASAP by everybody. Oh, yeah, 100%. All right, next up, Barefoot Books bought world rights to Food for the Future Sustainable Farms Around the World by Mia Wenzhen, the co-founder of Multicultural Children's Book Day. And the picture book will be illustrated by Robert Say Heng. The book lists 12 ways we can grow food while caring for our planet, from vertical gardens in the skyscrapers of Singapore to ancient terrace farms in Chile. Publication is planned for spring 2023. Like I said, water wars are coming. Teach not the children can, sustainability. Not if we can prevent it, you know. Um, I don't know. We live in the country that's like the biggest, one of the biggest um, causes of the water wars, um, which is now my catch-all for just whatever's to come in the next few decades as we start to um, really, really F this planet up. You definitely, we all know it's, the children who are going to face the brunt of all this climate change and everything that's happening to our planet, you know, uh, Beaver and I will will be here for it too, most likely, but um, not as long as the kids. So teaching the kids about just ways that we can, you know, prolong the descent into water warness or prevent it altogether and just build better habits. I think it's good. Um, it's they're good lessons to teach and they're things that you know when we were kids it was about all about recycling um, was it marvin was it though <laughs> but that was what we were taught right recycle reuse reduce was like the big kind of catchphrase that was taught to us but you know in the long run that's not really like it's only pulling like a small dent in our overall carbon footprint and most people don't even do it anyways right well, it's mostly the corporation's fault because they're like, oh, if you're not recycling, then you're the cause of all the pollution on the planet. And you're like, I'm just one person. Why don't you stop producing things in plastic bottles? Like, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you stop selling diesel cars? It, there's a lot of like individual blaming that gets yeah. passed on through capitalism. But we, I digress. But yeah, I mean, teaching kids about bigger picture stuff and things that they can advocate for i'm for it yeah i like i've noticed that millennium millennial parents have been doing a pretty good job teaching kids like where food comes from and just just in general like from my like interactions with kids they seem to be a lot healthier 
because like we're we're like 90s kids right so we grew up on like gushers and tang like orange just juice all and sorts of high fructose corn garbage. syrup <laughs> yeah so to see like millennial parents like actually take like balanced diets seriously for their kids it's already like a big improvement i mean it's true you know we all turned 30 and our bodies started turning on us got a should have stopped this. eating all of those bagel bites like a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> all right. Um, next up, Abrams bought world rights in a seven house auction to picture books, The Carpet and Sour Cherries by debut author Des Azad. Uh, both picture books explore the concept of home from the perspective of an Afghan refugee child. Uh, the Carpet tells the story of a carpet that connects the family. And Sour Cherries is a love letter to the child's mother and memories of picking and preparing sour chili, sour cherry delicacies together. Debut children's book illustrator Nan Sao will illustrate both titles. Publication is set for spring 2023 and spring 2024, respectively. I'm always glad to see, like, picture books that are told from a quote-unquote more serious perspective. Um, Yeah. Yeah, because, like, I feel like adults think that children need to be sheltered and that's true to an extent but refugee children they've definitely have experienced a lot of grief and trauma and it's important to show that perspective to other readers yeah children do grow up sheltered because their family and their circumstances all they know and i think equipping them with perspective will give them i guess the at least the knowledge necessary to interact with kids from different backgrounds and not be a total dick about it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we've had books about um, children who were raised by Vietnamese refugees. And as we know, like Afghanistan kind of went through the same thing, went through the same thing. So it's nice that we're getting picture books from uh, those refugees perspectives. Yeah. All right, next up, HarperCollins acquired Called Me Adnan and another untitled middle grade novel in verse by Reem Farooqi in an exclusive submission in which Pakistani-American Adnan Zakir dreams of making it to the ultimate table tennis championship in Florida. But when tragedy strikes, he must find a way back to the sport he loves as his family struggles to heal. Publication is slated for summer 2023. I kind of love this because it is your typical sports story. I know, sports story. (laughs) (laughs) But with table tennis, which um, I don't know if you've ever seen competitive. I was going to say, like, don't the Chinese dominate that sport? They do. I don't know if you've seen competitive table tennis, but that it gets pretty intense. I like watching it um, during the Olympics um, because I watched um, actually there's a really great documentary called Top Spin about yeah Top Spin yeah, yeah <laughs> about um, the American ping pong team which is <laughs> it's a bunch of Chinese kids Indian kids too I think um, just Asian kids in general for some reason we're we're good at net sports right that's like the one sport our parents let us play because I guess it's um, it's cheap classy cheap that's probably it yeah it's cheap <laughs> and also like for some reason like Every, like, if you go to Japan or Korea, like, you see a ping pong table at an inn or kind of, like, their recreation center. So that's what you do when you're bored. You just play ping pong. 
I'm terrible at ping pong. I'm not Me good too. at the balls are too small. The paddles are too small. I mean, I'm not good at tennis neither. So that's not really an excuse. Uh, I'm just, you know. Listen, I had a ping pong table growing up in my house <laughs> because my dad wanted us to exercise more and literally only used it ever when we hosted people at our house. Never used it for myself. <laughs> Even after years of having it in the house, like I, I can't rally for more than like two or three hits. It's hard, which is why I appreciate um, the people that are really good at it because that means that they, I mean, just the thought of falling that little, tiny little ball across across the table, it just seems impossible, which is which is why I love that this is a sports, like a, a coming of age against the odds sports story, but with ping pong. People need to know that ping pong players, table tennis players, uh, work really hard to be really good. All right, our next deal, um, Scholastic bought Play the Game, the first book in a middle grade trilogy by debut author and Emmy award-winning writer-producer Amar Shah. In the novel, NBA fanatic Ram lands a ticket to HoopCon and is beaten in a mortifying one-on-one matchup in front of a crowd, including his favorite pro player. When his best friend posts the video online, Ram reaches viral infamy overnight. Publication is set for fall 2023. Oh, man. It's a different kind of sports drama. <laughs> There's not much to go by in terms of what the, um, I guess, the the overall plot will be. But um, I imagine it'll be a coming of age where he learns to um, not care about what social media thinks about him getting dunked on. I'm so glad that social media wasn't like as prominent as it is now because everything is recorded everything is posted online and it's like oh just having some of your most embarrassing moments on the internet forever it's rough it does seem like a nightmare scenario yes yes all right, next up, Henry Holt acquired world rights to Chickenpox by Remy Lai, the author of Picasso and Pie in the Sky. Uh, and this was an exclusive submission. In the semi-autobiographical middle-grade graphic novel, oldest child Abby Lai is sick of her four annoying siblings, and it's the end of her world when all five kids catch chickenpox and have to be quarantined at home together 24-7 for a week. Publication is planned for winter 2025. Well, at mm. least it's just chicken pox and not COVID. That's true. Although or chicken monkey pox. pox. Mm, that's true. Chicken pox lasts longer though, right? It's like a month. I actually don't remember. I have, I have no idea. I, I got the <laughs> vaccine twice. So I've never had it. For chicken pox, really? Yeah. Because like what vaccine? happened was like, yeah, like you get it when you were like younger. No, I didn't. I got smallpox vaccine, but not chickenpox. Yeah, they have a vaccine for chickenpox. No. Yeah. Yeah. Chickenpox is something everyone gets, though. I remember getting. No, I totally did not get it. Isn't that not good? Isn't that like isn't adult chickenpox like way more dangerous? I'm I'm looking it up right now. There are there is a chickenpox vaccine. Varicella. And I got two doses of it, as recommended. So yeah, I've never had chicken pox in my life, and I'm wow. very grateful for it. My my mind is blown right now, because I thought chicken pox was a rite of passage every kid has to go through. But now you're telling me there was a vaccine for it this whole time? Yeah. My parents lied to me. 
Did your parents not vaccinate? Did your school not require it? No. No, because like literally I got pulled out of school because I did not have the second dose for the chicken pox. Uh, maybe this is something that was acquired after my time because um, I'm, I think, half a decade older than you. Yeah, no, this is the first time I've heard of it. Hmm. Wow, look at our generation gap, Marvin, <laughs> when we're literally only half a decade apart, which is pretty much nothing. I know. I mean, it became commercially available in 1984, which was the bl- which was the year I was born. So maybe it wasn't like required in schools until a little bit later. I mean, I remember getting it when I was in second grade. So that would have been 1992, I want to say. But obviously people still get chicken pox, like... You could still get it even <laughs> even if you have the vaccine. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm You're just I, mind blown. My my world has changed overnight. Um Oh, but like being quarantined with your siblings. Um Yeah, that that is I feel more for the parents though because they have to take care of five yeah. sick children. It's like at um, the same time. It's like when lockdown happened in 2020 and all the parents were like, why are the kids here every day? I need them to go back to school. I have no me time anymore. Um, except now they're all sick and need you all the time. And yeah, sounds sounds rough. Um, but, uh, you know, chicken pox will, uh, but, you know, chicken pox is not forever. And um, yeah, it just sounds like just a fun, um, fun story about family and responsibility. All right, moving on to our next deal. Simon & Schuster bought world rights for Charlotte Huck Award honoree Shelley Anand's In This Family, a picture book about multicultural families and how they look and feel about how they look and feel, inspired by her own multiracial, multiethnic, and multireligious family. And it'll be illustrated by Minal Patel. Publication is scheduled for summer 2024. You know, as more families become mixed race and, you know, multi... Religious, I think this is a book that is definitely needed for those parents, you know? All right, next up, Page Street Kids Acquired World Rights to When a Rhino Has to Wait, in all caps, by Dazzle Ing, and illustrated by Estrella Lorenzo. Uh, The book is about a little rhino's romp of encounters with this common charge-stopping word and how to handle it with patience. Publication is planned for winter 2025. Teaching kids patience and teaching them the importance of waiting. And there's, if there's one thing kids hate is not having things now. I mean, that's true for adults <laughs> as well. That's true. I would say it's more true for adults than kids nowadays. Just dealing with retail in the past. Yeah. Now that I think about it, learning the learning the value of wait is something that we never stop learning because we never learn that lesson. So um, let's let's teach the kids early so they can be better humans to each other. Right? Yeah, because we're doomed as adults. Mm, it's too late for us. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been going on for a while. So let's take a quick break to hear a message from one of our partners. And we'll be right back for the rest of our publishing news. Hi, I'm Shinyi Pai, host of the podcast Blue Suit. In a world full of stuff, what do we choose to hold on to? 
The Blue Suit is a podcast about commonplace objects and the people who transform them into something remarkable. From an inherited Chinese-English dictionary to an old caliphone playing records left behind by Japanese-Americans incarcerated during World War II, our podcast showcases modern-day artifacts of Asian America and what gets elevated to heirloom status. Find it by searching for The Blue Suit wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Robin. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Robin Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Maracas to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. Um, next up, Harper team bought Lena John's YA fantasy debut um, and Break the Pretty Kings. Inspired by the historical Three Kingdoms of Korea, the book follows a crown princess who receives a divine gift, the ability to switch places with her future self, making her a weapon built to destroy an enemy feared by even the gods. But when that enemy kidnaps her brother, she must choose between the fate of the peninsula and those she loves. Publication is set for summer 2023. Now, I am not familiar with the Three Kingdoms of Korea. It's different from um, your Three Kingdoms. <laughs> I like my history with uh, with Korea and the Three Kingdoms is just like very, very vague. Um, I've the thing is like I've watched so many historical dramas that you would think that I would remember details, but Korean history is so long, and the kingdoms have changed hands so many times that it's hard to keep track. So, but this is a fantasy book, so I don't need to know my history. Yeah, it sounds great. You know, it sounds like it has a, you know, strong female main character um, who kicks ass. And I'm always down for more Korean inspired fantasy as well. (laughs) All right. Next up, HarperCollins bought World Rights to Camp Scream by debut author Sarah C. Young, a chapter book series about two human kids at a summer camp for monsters and cryptids. Book one will be illustrated by Kelsey Eng, and the remaining books will be illustrated by Lan Cham. Publication is tentatively scheduled for summer 2024. I'm trying to remember, like, there was a cartoon show, like, a long time ago about a human kid that went to a school where it was just, like, animals. And this kind of reminds me of that. But it sounds really cute. I love seeing... Uh, monsters in picture books and uh, middle grade yeah. novels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cryptids are always fun too because they're like otherworldly monsters. They're like Pokemon, really, to be honest. Pokemon, probably cryptids, right? I guess, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, um, in a six house auction, Penguin Workshop bought Home in the Lunchbox by debut author illustrator Terry Moe. 
This picture book tells the story of June, who experiences frustration and helplessness when she moves from Hong Kong to America and cannot speak English. But food from home offers solace and connection with her classmates. Publication is slated for summer 2024. Um, and I guess this is just you know more proof that not everyone's experience is the same because I'm sure kids now coming from Hong Kong aren't like the kids that I grew up with that came from Hong Kong because the kids that I grew up with who came from Hong Kong were still British citizens. I was about uh, to say, were they able to speak British English, uh, the Queen's English? Yeah. Um, but you know that handover happened in like what 1997, so you know there's a whole generation of kids who did not grow up under those systems. So I wonder if. You know, that has changed their relationship to English as well. I feel like kids nowadays are into Asian food, though. They like, are. that is in vogue. Yeah, which was why I think this is a good, like, it sounds like this is like a reverse Lunchbox incident mm-hmm. book where the Lunchbox actually helps the kid relate to her classmates. Um, because, yeah, the kids are probably like, yo, that's a bow. I love that shit, you know? They're like, oh, snap, that's candy from China that's like <laughs> never going to come to America. Yeah. Like, when you go abroad to Japan, you're like, I need to get the limited edition Kit Kats because they are not being sold anywhere else. All right, next up, Chronicle Acquired World Rights to the Rise and Falls of Jackie Chan author Kristen Mai Zhang's uh, picture book biography, Michelle the First, How Action Hero Michelle Yeoh Danced, Acted, and Dreamed Her Own Path. And the book is illustrated by Kuri Huang. This true story follows the rise of Malaysian Chinese movie star from the ballet stage to the action-packed sets of Hong Kong to the dazzling lights of Hollywood as she broke new ground while staying true to her creative self, even and especially in situations where she found she was the quote-unquote only one. Publication is set for spring 2025. This sounds like a lot of fun. Michelle Yeoh is just the goat, but... I do want to know how Kristen Mai Jang got the gig of being like the children's book biographer of awesome Hong Kong martial arts stars. That sounds like a that sounds like a pretty choice gig, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. And this is a reminder that you should all watch everything everywhere all at once. It is a fantastic movie. You should go see it. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm still it still lives in my head rent free, even though I've watched it like. I've already watched it like twice and still just as good. All right. Um, Roaring Brook and Macmillan Children's UK jointly acquired at auction middle grade fantasy Vanya and the Wild Hunt by Sangu Mandana, who is the author of the Kiki Kalira series and the Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. And we'll actually have her on the show next week uh, for a really great author chat. So stay tuned for that. Um, the book is pitched as Amari and the Knight Brothers meets Nevermore with a touch of How to Train Your Dragon. The story follows a neurodivergent British Indian girl who was swept away to a magical school where she trains to become a monster hunter and learns to fully embrace her different and wonderful brain. Publication is set for spring 2024. Always like seeing neurodivergent characters in children's literature. I know Kiki Kalira, um, she has OCD and struggles with it uh, in the series. So it's nice that Sangu is showing... uh, more ni- more types of neurodivergent characters in her work. Uh, I really loved The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. It was such a fun read. So um, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is going to be a fun read too. I love stories where you have monster hunters because, you know, I grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, um, you know, I really like The Witcher, for example. 
and supernatural. Uh, yeah, and the fact that it's a touch of How to Train Your Dragon means, uh, at least I hope, that um, the main character here learns to become friends with the monsters and uses them to fight. Like Pokemon, again. Like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we always use alternatives to the classic story of being whisked away to a magical school with, like, more diverse characters. All right, next up, Charles Bridge bought world rights to Wings to Soar, a middle grade novel in verse by Tina Athai, the author of Orange for the Sunsets. In the novel, Viva's Indian family has been expelled from Uganda and sent to a resettlement camp in England, where she and her mother and sister must wait for their father to join them. There, a determined Viva forges a community of her own while struggling with the prejudice of those around her. Publication is planned for spring 2025. Another refugee story. Yeah, but this one, instead of depicting life after arriving in as a refugee, this one is about their life in a camp, which is, uh, you know, by all accounts, a very harrowing experience, especially for children, because it's so unstable. But equally important because, you know, refugees don't just arrive in our countries. They go through a whole process of, you know, being put on hold until they end up where they end up. And that's part of their story, too. And you know, being a middle grade novel, you know, and being about kids, targeted towards kids. It's like we mentioned many times on this episode, it's important to give children more perspectives, especially in a country where it's very likely you'll run into a refugee either in school or in life. And being able to empathize with that is important. Yeah, we've definitely read adult novels about refugees in resettlement camps. So it's nice that we're seeing a middle grade novel about it as well. Yeah. All right. Next up, HarperCollins has acquired world English rights to Navia Sings for Navarathri by Lakshmi Thamasmani, illustrated by Avani Duivedi. Uh, in this picture book, an Indian American girl named Navia is empowered to overcome her stage fright while celebrating Navarathri with her female relatives. Publication is set for summer 2024. So Navarathri is a biannual and um, it's like a Hindu festival that's observed to honor the mother goddess. Um, I am not familiar with Navarathri, uh, Navarathri but uh, we... We can always use more books about Asian holidays. Yeah. I mean, we have so many books about the Moon Festival and Lunar New Year. Um, I want to learn about other holidays. I will say that most Lunar New Year books are quote unquote Chinese New Year. And it's Mm. like, I would like to see more Lunar New Year books that are not based (laughs) on Chinese New Year, like other Asian cultures who celebrate it. Mm. But... Uh, Yeah, I am all down for more books that uh, show more Asian holidays, especially like I'm not very familiar with a lot of like Indian holidays. Um, So I find this pretty interesting. It is interesting, but it is not permission to appropriate these for your own purposes. So, oh, yeah. Corporations, (laughs) stay out. Stay out of Navaratri. All right, our last book deal is HarperCollins acquired world rights to A Name for Sister by Charlotte Cheng, and it will be illustrated by Sophie Dow, the illustrator of I Am Golden. The picture book is inspired by a centuries-old naming custom and explores how five elemental spirits help a girl and her family find the perfect name for her new baby sister. Publication is scheduled for summer 2024. Wow, this is reminding me a lot about... When my mom was pregnant with um, 
my baby brother <laughs> before we knew the uh, sex of the baby. And we're just like, what are the names that we should come up with and stuff like that? Naming conventions in Asian families is, is sometimes deal. it's simple, but sometimes it's a big, big deal. And, and, you know, especially if your family follows like the more cultural traditions where, you know, my family has a whole, we have a poem that's passed down from generation to generation that denotes what middle name our family has. So you know how in Chinese families, in some Chinese families, there is a generational name where every single member of that family has the same, either second or third word of their name. Like you have your family name, um, you have your generational name, and you have your name. Yeah, my family has a naming tradition too. Um, yeah, depending on like, if you are from the paternal side and you have a daughter, uh, <laughs> You have uh, the first syllable of the girl's name has to start with Li, which is why like my cousin's name are like Yuri Ta and Yuri Ah. Mm. Um, and like when we were coming up with uh, girl names for um, for like when my mom was pregnant, we're like, okay, like there's not a lot of names that start start <laughs> with that start with Li. So like, what are we gonna do? And um, I-, I was just like, I don't know. Like, can we name her like? Eureka and like call her Eureka when (laughs) (laughs) like in the states of course like we did not go with that um I think like what we settled on was Yuri Bin but Mm. then that would have been really bad in English as well because it would have been ribbon that's cute I don't know I'm just I'm just glad that I ended up with a baby brother and not a baby sister (laughs) so (laughs) All right, but that is a wrap on our very long list of book deals. Yeah, this was like four whole pages. That's like, it's one of our longer ones for sure. Um, And thank you all for bearing with us. Um, We do know that sometimes authors do um, catch on that we're talking about their books and um, are very appreciative. And I guess, no, it's always a little weird to see authors um, listen to our very long episodes to find that like, you know, five minute segment we're talking about their books. But we appreciate that you appreciate us. So, you know, thank you. I think I think what the thing is that is that their author friends listen to our podcast and then they're like, oh, wait, they got mentioned. And then they tag <laughs> the authors. Um, but yeah, I love seeing you guys like mention us on social media. So thank you for it feels listening. Good. And yeah, it feels good. I understand what the influencers feel when they get that, you know, that endorphin rush when someone like Yeah, it's stuff. definitely an endorphin rush. <laughs> but also I get like a spike of anxiety afterwards. I'm like, yay, attention. Oh, no, attention. <laughs> um, right. But we are going to move straight on to news. Uh, breaking news from last night. Uh, Salman Rushdie was stabbed in the neck and abdomen uh, last evening on August 12th by a man who rushed the stage as the author was about to give a lecture uh, in West New York. It was at the Chattaqua uh, Institution, and it is like a literary uh, workshop or festival that um, Salman Rushdie goes every year. Uh, But according to his agent, Andrew Wiley, who is there at the lecture, uh, he told AP News that Rushdie was on a ventilator and uh, has a damaged liver, severed nerves in his arm, and he will most likely lose his eye. Uh, as of right now, um, I, I'm not sure what his condition is, 
but the police identified the attacker as Hadi Matar, who is um, who is 24 years old from Fairview, New Jersey, and he was arrested at the scene and is currently under investigation. Uh, but Salman Rushdie is probably like one of the most well-known um, author of Asian descent. Uh, he was born in Bombay to a Muslim family and was educated in the UK and lived there for some time before relocating to New York. But he is uh, he's known for his Booker Prize winning novel Midnight's Children, but he is notorious for his uh, second novel, The Satanic Verses, which was released in 1988, and it was viewed as blasphemous by many Muslims. Uh, who saw a character from the book as an insult to the prophet Muhammad. So that book was banned in Iran, and uh, there was actually an edict calling for Rushdie's death uh, from the late leader in Iran at the time. So um, Rushdie has lived in protection, uh, witness protection kind of, in England and also in uh, America, Um Throughout throughout his career, he's gotten a lot of death threats, but they kind of like slowly faded as time went by. So this attack kind of comes as a surprise because no one was really expecting it to happen. Yeah. Um, so so many years after his controversial novel came out, um, but yeah, like he like he was like knighted by the queen in like two thousand eight. And, you know, he has a lot of awards and honors under his name. So he's a very, very well-known author. Yeah. Um, you know, hoping for his recovery, even though, you know, he has injuries that will probably stick with him for the rest of his life. Um, that, it's such a wild, it's been a wild few weeks in terms of like just celebrity deaths in general. Like, um, but this um, this was, you know, going around book Twitter uh, last night because it was happening in real time. Um, I'm actually not super familiar with Salman Rushdie's work. I mostly know him as the former Mr. Padma Lakshmi, even though I knew that he was like a really famous author. Yeah, uh, his book Midnight's Children was on our like very first list of possible books to read for this book club when we uh, when we first formed. We just like put that off because I was like, oh, my God, this book is so long. I don't think I have the confidence to finish yeah. it within one month. We balked at it because it was like a little too literary for our for our uh, for our tastes, I guess. But um, at least 45 people were killed uh, like over the years uh, over this book uh, mm. in like riots and also in like Rushdie's uh, hometown. Uh, back in the 90s, like the Japanese translator for the book was stabbed to death. Uh, the Italian translator survived a knife attack in the same year. And then uh, uh, in 1993, the Norwegian publisher of the book was shot three times and luckily survived. So, um, yeah, this is not the first time a violent act has been committed because of this book. But, um, you know, yeah. I am wishing Salman Rushdie of, I know a swift recovery is not possible, but like, I wish him to recover well, hopefully. And, you know, thoughts and well wishes to his family. All yeah. right. 
So moving on to, I guess, the big piece of news. Uh, so the DOJ versus Penguin Random House antitrust trial happened. Uh, it's still ongoing. Um, I think it's going to probably end in the next week or so. But um, we we covered the Penguin Random House proposal to merge with Simon and Schuster back in 2020. And I remember saying, this is not, this can't be legal. Like that's <laughs> having like two major um, publishers merge and like beating out competition. I feel like, I feel like this is not legal. And sure enough, the government was like, yeah, this is not okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, for those of you who haven't been on book Twitter, uh, this antitrust trial was to prevent Penguin Random House from acquiring or merging with Simon & Schuster. Um, and the Department of Justice said that the merger will cede nearly 50% of the market for anticipated top-selling books. Um, and it would harm competition by lowering author advances and diminishing output, creativity, and diversity. But pretty much like the big five publishing houses are Penguin Random House, Simon Schuster, HarperCollins, Macmillan, and Hachet. So uh, Random House actually used to be uh, a big publishing house. So it used to be big six, and then it got merged to a big five. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And journalist John Maher has been live tweeting the trial. It's been... It's been a wild ride. Um, some ridiculous things have been said during this trial. Um, my favorite thing that I've seen pop up on Twitter, because a lot of memes and uh, a lot of like joke tweets popped up because of this trial. And the Simon & Schuster CEO, John Carp, he said that 100K in author advance is fairly small. And all the authors and and lit agents were like, "What the fuck? That's that is not true. A hundred k is actually a lot, but you know, also they should be giving more money in advances." And uh, one of the more ridiculous things he also said was that most authors don't want a bigger advance; they want to earn out faster. And I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> like less than 10% of authors earn out. So obviously a bigger advance is is more desirable. Yeah, I mean corporate CEOs and executives lying out their butt is not is not new, right? And especially like I think the thing with like corporations is they know what they're doing. Everything, every decision they do is vetted. It's the numbers are crunched. Every single piece of business they officially conduct has been like approved by like 10 different people that this is the course of action that carries the least amount of risk. Like it's, it's a very like, you know, in business school, we're taught to make decisions based on what will cost us the least um, more often than what will make us the most money. Right. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's interesting that this merger deal is being attacked when the one that just went through for like Discovery and Warner is like just as like nefarious, right? And that one actually cost thousands of jobs already. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, 
concern from the employees at Penguin Random House and also Simon and Schuster because mm. it's a question of, okay, how many imprints are they going to get rid of? How many imprints are they going to uh, downsize? And because there's going to be a lot of overlap in positions, like how many people are they going to lay off? And yeah. the more people they lay off, the less acquisitions that they'll get. And of course, like writers of color and queer authors, they'll probably get the impact of these changes the most. Yeah, totally. I mean, when companies merge, it's literally like Game of Thrones. It's like when two companies meet up, one of those companies coming out on top, right? Like every single department under that company, marketing, publishing, sales, it becomes like a battle royale of whose team ends up winning. And it's always one or the other. It's never really like a real merger. I remember when I used to work at Sony, I came in right after the MGM merger. And literally every department that I worked with was loyal to like a different leader of the company. And it was, it made things a little difficult for us. Um, And, you know, like I mentioned with the Time Warner Discovery merger, like we've already seen a ton of shows and movies get cut for tax breaks or because they don't fit the company's um, new strategy. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the content that was cut were created by or starring people of color, women of color. And, you know, um, the new CEO who took over started hiring all his key positions. And I think it comes as no surprise that they all turned out to be white dudes. Yeah, and it's also, it's a really complicated process with uh, contracting as well. So like authors who have gotten book deals, like these book deals that we announce every month, if the imprint that acquired them is merging with Penguin Random House, now their book is in limbo, is the parent company going to honor the contract or are they going to part from it? Because now it's a separate company. Um, But one of my, one of the funniest things that happened in uh, this trial is the Penguin Random House CEO, Marcus Dole, uh, he said, everything is random in publishing. Success is random. Bestsellers are random. So that is why we are the random house. And I was like, what? Is that really why you're called Penguin Random House? I feel like that is just like an improv line. I don't I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, and also, like publishing, obviously there's a lot of luck involved, but not everything is random. Actually, publishers, they back a lot of celebrity books. They put a lot of money into what they think will be New York Times bestsellers. And that success is not random because they're putting money where they know yeah. they're going to recoup that profit. Yeah, like like I said, nothing corporations do is ever random, you know. Um, there's a reason why a certain type of book gets published and why you see a lot of those types of books get published at the same time is because they make decisions based on available data telling them what will do well and what won't do well and that's why it's important for imprints to exist that like specialize in other forms of literature from like other voices because otherwise we're just never going to get anything new out of the industry and 
you know, when things consolidate and, you know, crunch down, companies will always err towards being conservative. And being conservative means that new voices are pushed out. Uh, speaking of data, Kat Cho, the author of Once Upon a Cape Prom, she compiled a bunch of data from the trial. So data on the publishing industry that these professionals uh, released. And some of them are very vague and anecdotal, not specific oh. at all. And this, like, following this trial has really taught me that people in the very, very top of publishing have no idea how publishing works. They have no idea what mid-list titles are and how much money those mid-list titles make them. They don't know how much money they earn from even top sellers at their imprints and at like like it's just like you don't know what's bringing money to your company so what the hell is happening <laughs> well it's because that's not their job their job is to maximize value for their shareholders which means they need this merger to go through because this will cause the stock price to go up and so and this is the secret of like corporate messaging is they have all this data and they have all the data that you're talking about, but they pick, they pick the one or two like slides that most benefit the point they're trying to make to justify the merger, which will bring value to the stockholders, not necessarily to the people who work for them or for the greater good or for the mission of their company, right? Um, yeah. I mean, and that's just the thing. Like, once a company becomes a public company, it literally loses its soul. Like, oftentimes, because their main goal becomes making more money, and not about whatever they whatever they originally set out to do. One of my favorite things that has come from this trial is this AO3 fanfic by <laughs> Ash Dillon, who is the author of Press Play. So. This fanfiction this fanfiction is titled A Random Penguin Acquires My Ass. And like it has like Penguin Random House and Simon Schuster as actual like humanoid characters <laughs> and there's like a lot of smut in it and it's obviously like a lot of parody um and it's just been hilarious reading uh excerpts from it on Twitter. But you could read the entire thing on archiveofourown.org. Um, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> I highly recommend reading it because this trial is very depressing. And uh, yeah, it makes me wonder what the future is for publishing. You know, like it's such a like this industry is dying. But at the same time. Like, I I don't know. It's 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 an industry that's dying, but it could be saved if if we like come up with more innovating ways to distribute and to like acquire books. But it's also like you have to reform a lot and make sure you pay authors, and it's just a lot of things need to be updated in the publishing industry for it to actually thrive again. Yeah, I mean, not just publishing, but, you know, capitalism writ large needs to be reformed somehow. We need to move past it to whatever whatever the next system is, even if it's incremental, that solves the problem of, like, <clears throat> of accumulation of wealth being the end goal of things. Because 
it's just not working. And these things will happen again and again. You know, we've already seen it happening in real time uh, with the Warner merger and all of us being worried that we'll lose our HBO Max shows. Um, it's probably going to happen in other companies as well. And, you know, if this goes through, it'll happen with publishing. And it's not an issue that only affects publishing. Um, but if this happens, it'll definitely um, affect a lot of like what we report on the show, like all of these book deals that have not been published yet are still in the works. Uh, all the ones that are under Penguin Random House or Simon Schuster are suddenly in flux because merging a company isn't really merging. It's like a prelude to like a war, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do worry about, I'm sure, I'm sure the people at Simon and Schuster and Penguin Random House, there's a lot of anxiety. And of course, like, my thoughts and prayers to the agents out there <laughs> who who are getting emails from authors say, I heard that 100K is like the minimum amount for like an advance. Is there a way that you could like get me a bigger advance? And obviously, you know, it's the answer is a lot more complicated than that. I mean, it's from the mouth of an executive. So now they yeah, have to well, do he's it. a... Yeah. It makes me so mad that people who don't even understand their industry is at the top of the corporate ladder. The best case scenario of this fallout is now he has to pay everyone at least 100000 or 150000 because he said so. Yeah. So I highly recommend uh, looking at the thread by John Maher, and it's at J-O-H-N-H-M-A-H-E-R. Uh, there's a very long thread of live tweets from the trial. Um, it's it's pretty funny, but also pretty sad. <laughs> but you have to take things, you know, with a light heart because otherwise. I know. Yeah. It's, it's times like this that I'm sad that the um, PRH Penguin stopped tweeting because I feel like we need him more than ever. Well, there's Publishers Brunch, which <laughs> is a, kind of like a joke account of like, publishers lunch and they've been tweeting a lot of funny stuff as well oh check that out yeah all, all right. right well that is our wrap up on news thank you everyone for listening to this very long episode i have no idea how long it's going to be after editing <laughs> but we've been talking for about an hour and a half now um an hour 40 minutes according to my clock so but you know half of that was f capitalism so i'm i'm gonna leave that all that in you know and you, listeners, you tell us if you think this episode was way too long. But I think that's fine. You know, it's our podcast. I, we can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. We don't, we're not beholden any bosses. We're never going to radio. So there's no reason for time limits. So, you know, I say whatever. <laughs> in fact, in, in fact, if you did enjoy our extra long, supersized podcast, let us know by giving us a rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, it really does help us. Um, I think when people check out our shows um, and they see that people have rated and reviewed, it shows that you know people are vibing with what we're talking about and it makes it more likely that they'll tune in as well and you know we've been actually been featured a couple of times this month on like the apple front page which was really nice and so if this is the first time you're listening to one of our episodes um you picked a good one just you got some extra marvin reaver this week so uh welcome yep <laughs> all right so our august book club pick for those of you who aren't aware 
It's Honey and Ishi's Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jagardar. Uh, it is it is a YA contemporary book about a girl who comes out as bisexual to her friends, but then her really bad friends <laughs> invalidate her identity, saying that she can't be bi if she only dated guys. So um, Honey, she panics and blurts out that she's in a relationship with a girl her friends absolutely hate, uh, Issue Day. So Issue and Honey, they decide to fake date and, you know, kind of come up with ways they can both benefit from this relationship. And like fake dating goes, feelings emerge. Um, so yeah. I'm excited to read this. Um, I know a lot of listeners out there also said that they're excited to read it. So we'll be talking about it at the end of the month. Always love a good fake relationship rom-com especially with a twist i mean with the title like uh, fake dating relationship um you know there's gonna be more than that all right well on that note if you've stuck with us until the end thank you so much uh, for listening to this episode of books and boba um it's a quick final reminder that you can support our podcast not only by rating and reviewing but also purchasing books that we mentioned on our books and boba bookshop bookstore um which is our online bookstore where we list all the books of books that we've read for book club uh, books from authors we've interviewed and also a lot of really great curated lists um on a lot of different themes that rira has uh, put together for you as well so um yeah check it out you can go to booksandboba.com and click on the bookshop link to go to our bookstore uh, but yeah, we'll be back next week with a author chat with Sangu Mandana about her latest novel, um, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Kim Cooper and I co-host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in baseball wherever you get podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.